This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Mark McQuinney who's a lifelong entrepreneur and is a coach for coaches so he helps coaches get more clients without paid advertising. He hosts the Natural Born Coaches podcast, the Coaching Jungle Facebook group and so much more. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It has been a while since we've last spoke and a lot of our conversations have been around the coaching industry and some best practices for coaches but I thought we'd we'd digress a little bit from that because a lot of people are wanting to become coaches but in my observation it's been if I can't grow a different kind of business then coaching is something people tend to fall back on almost like those that can't do teach so what are your thoughts on that is that the same for you and how do you think about it i thought we we're going to talk about will smith and the academy awards today but uh, we'll, we'll focus on coaching it's a little more evergreen you know not a hot topic uh, like will smith but um <laughs> <laughs> i guess uh yeah i've heard that criticism too you know and uh, one of the things with the coaching industry of course is their barrier to entry is quite low uh so you got people spend 10 bucks on a url from GoDaddy. don't even need business cards nowadays you know a couple social media accounts and bang i'm a coach uh, which actually I like that democratization of business, you know, back in the day, you had to spend gobs of money to open up a whatever business, you know, in a physical location, you need to get furniture, office lease, uh, employees, signage, all that fun stuff. And it really kept a lot of people out of the game. So um, I try not to get too hung up in, you know, what other people are saying or even doing, you know, I, I do my thing and I enjoy it, but uh, it does tend to attract. There's definitely that element of it. There's the get rich quick um, types, which you're now also seeing in Bitcoin and NFTs and which I don't really get. I'll admit, <laughs> I don't understand that stuff. <laughs> it seems um, like that happens with everything though, doesn't it? It's there's always people that see it as a bit of a gold rush moment. And then there are those that are a bit more thoughtful about it. And they seem to do better than those that try to come out the block sprinting, don't they? Yeah. I mean, the beautiful thing though, with the coaching industry is I do think that it tends to weed out the people who can't deliver on their big uh, promises or lofty, uh, guarantees. So uh, if you may be able to start up, get a business going, if you're making BS promises, like I'm sure you've heard all the time, Michael, you know, I'll help you make a million dollars in a month working five minutes a day and easy peasy, but you can't build a sustainable business that long because it's going to, or for long down the road, it's going to get out there. You know, people need to see uh, dependable results. They need to, you know, that's how you get client testimonials, repeat business referrals and all that stuff. So there's coaches. I know I got started in March of 2014 uh, in this, in this world. And there's coaches. I know that were big back 2014, 2015, 2016, they're long gone. I've seen some of them doing the Bitcoin type stuff now. They've moved on to uh, other things there and hey, that's fine. So uh, that's a great thing with this industry. And I think a lot of businesses out there too, it weeds out the ones who are all talk. There's have a bunch of sizzle, but there's not much stake there. And I think you need both. I like the way that you phrase the, you need to have the stake and then the sizzle is what draws people in and then you mentioned client testimonials as well does that speak to needing to earn your stripes and how would you suggest people do that is it like you know you charge what you're worth but then you're not worth anything if you can't prove the results so to speak because you're a service right so mm. how, how do you balance those two things do you advocate for okay maybe start off cheap and build the amount that you charge based on the testimonials how do you think people should start a coaching business well it's really tricky with coaching because there's no set value that oh you should be charging x amount right it's not like a certain brand of car or clothing or any other type thing or even a service take for example um, i have a twin brother and he's in the podcast editing world podcast editing, you could pretty much tell here's the going rate per episode or, you know, with what you're doing with editing and production, there's a range there, but it's not like coaching where you have coaches who are charging $0 or peanuts, you know, 50 bucks a session. And then you've got uh, Tony Robbins and 
Marshall Goldsmith and all these other coaches that could be $200,000, <laughs> Brian Campbell and so on uh, per year and everywhere in between. Uh, Steve Hardison's another one comes to mind. So it's a little tricky. It's like the wild west trying to determine what to charge. I always recommend to the coaches I'm working with that you have to feel good about the amount that you're charging. Uh, so you always want to uh, push it and charge as much as you can. You don't want to give it away or take the approach. Oh, I'll just charge peanuts until I get a lot of clients. Then I'll bump it up because that doesn't always work very well. But you don't want to push it and say, okay, I'm going to charge $10 million my first year because you're probably not going to be feeling that with it. So the way that I started, I'll be completely honest, in 2014, I don't recommend people start with this. I had just a one-on-one -on -one offering uh, $500 a month, you know, with it. And I realized really quickly that that wasn't the way to do it, you know, not to knock everyone I was working with, but it does tend to attract a certain type of client. Now I'm significantly higher, but that's been over the process, a course of eight years, you know, that I've been consistently increasing those fees and given inflation, you know, here in Canada with gas, food, everything else. I know you guys are probably seeing it across the pond. I'm increasing my fees again uh, later this year in light of that. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll call that my Joe Biden tax. Uh, I'm going to put bump my <laughs> fees up. You can blame Joe Biden if you have a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> the very, very, um, I guess, obvious take. If you go with what feels right and and your expenses go up, you'll naturally charge more. Does that speak to, okay, you've got to feel confident in what it is that you're selling, the results that you can get, and the better you get naturally, that goes up anyway? Yeah, um, so the... I always say the toughest person to convince isn't anyone in the marketplace. It's not any potential clients or, you know, leads, prospects, whatever. The toughest person to convince is the man or the woman in the mirror who's looking back at you. If you can convince yourself, uh, Michael, that you're worth every penny, then that's half the battle right there. It's going to be a very easy sale. Uh, so for example, with me, my background's in real estate. I did that for 10 years through my twenties. And then before I got into coaching, and people said to me, oh, Mark, you're a great salesman. And, you know, my mom used to say, oh, you could sell ice to the Eskimos or whatever. Uh, I've been in sales basically all my life one way or another, but uh, it's not exactly true because I have to believe in what I'm selling or I suck at selling it. So, for example, not to knock anyone who's in multi-level marketing, but it's just not my thing. I'm not a fan of MLMs. And years ago, a friend got me into it after I rejected many people asked me to get started in MLMs. He, he talked me into it. <laughs> it was a for a, co a coffee company. I'm not even a coffee drinker. I'm going to lose my Canadian citizenship because I hate coffee. I hate beer. So I don't know, a weird Canadian. Uh, <laughs> but I said, okay, I'll give this a try. So I didn't like MLMs. I didn't like coffee. And here I am in a coffee MLM. And I did a bunch of appointments and stuff, and I don't think I sold anyone on it because my heart wasn't in it. I just didn't believe in it and so on. So I have to believe in what I'm selling in order to sell it. I think people could pick up that energy if you're not fully 100% on board believing what you're selling in there. So that's very important. I found as well that a lot of it can be tricking yourself almost into believing in something that maybe you don't quite believe in maybe you're convinced it's a mindset mm. issue so you read 10 dozen affirmations and you've almost in air quotes deluded yourself into thinking that you're worth as much as maybe you're not what are your thoughts on something like that because then they get hit very very quickly with the harsh reality of maybe you're not what you think that you were in terms of yeah. the value and the service and all those kinds of things well, I mean, like anything, it takes time to earn your stripes and to be as good as you can be. So when you're starting out, be aggressive with your pricing, but you have to, like I just mentioned, believe in what you're charging. And if you're doing it right, you can do a lot in 365 days a year. You're going to get clients, you're going to get experience, you're going to get results. You should be increasing your fees every year because you're becoming a better coach as years go on. You know, you're reading other books, you're taking other courses, you're learning skills. So if you're keeping the same fees across the board for years and years, you're actually falling behind. Plus there's that pesky inflation thing too. But you as a person, you're worth more because you've been around a lot longer. When I got started in 2014, I shouldn't have been charging what I'm charging today because it was eight years or so ago or eight plus years with it. So I picked my amount 
I just went with it, worked every day, put my head down, compound effect, Darren Hardy, you know, that whole thing where I can now build up a track record when I'm talking to potential clients, I can point out results. I can point out my podcast is up, you know, almost 800 episodes. Uh, I've been doing daily emails now for 2200 plus days straight, you know, stuff like that. People can look, they know I didn't just roll out of bed today and jump into this world and that helps. But you know, then it gets into a whole conversation. Don't fall into the bright, shiny object syndrome. <laughs> you know, you're going to have a million things people say you have to do and you can't do a million things or at least not very well. So you got to pick a few things that you're good at. Just put your head down, keep going every day and then keep increasing those fees as you improve and as time goes on. It's very, very similar to the podcasting space as well. A lot of mm. people struggle to trust shows like this one and perhaps your show as well initially because what episode number are you on five might not be as good as someone that's done 500 episodes or a thousand or however many we can get into and i think in my experience as well is that trust can be quite a difficult thing for people that are shall we say ignorance of the person that they're talking to so we use things like metrics and whether it's earnings or downloads or whatever it is to help someone that's uneducated become educated enough to realize that this is a good decision to make, whether it be a guest on a show or hire a coach or whatever it is. I found that I don't enjoy putting the results out there as much until I can have the conversation of it's actually about trust building and let the other person understand that they're making the right choice for them. Yeah, exactly. I have a rule of thumb I follow for the online space and it's probably saved me a lot of time and money. Uh, but I basically assume that the person I'm talking to is full of shit until they've proven me otherwise uh, wrong, you know? Uh, so yeah. not you, I know you and stuff. You're not full of shit, but with people like, you know, cold DMing me or people like big talkers and stuff like that. And I know that might sound a little paranoid, you know, and it might sound like I got it out for humanity. It's just, there are so many bullshit artists in the online space that uh, I'm very selective who I'm charged uh, doing business with for one, uh, who I'm trusting uh, with certain things, who I'm partnering with, who I'm working with and all that fun stuff. So there's a rule of thumb people can take is to assume everyone's full of shit and including you and I <laughs> until they're yeah. proven otherwise. And that's a very tough thing to stand by all of the time. Cause I found if I take a risk here and there, as long as the consequences aren't dire, I don't start to tell myself I'm overly cynical or I, as you said, I've got it out for the other people. And it's difficult because it's happened recently where they've been friendly, I've been friendly, and then the conversation shifted instantly towards them wanting something. And I'm sure you get it as well. Loads of other guests have the same experience where it becomes harder mm. to make that leap first of like, okay, I'll let you in a little bit. Let's see what let's see what happens. And then I found you've got to then find a way of retracting some of the things that you've said because otherwise you then become overcommitted to someone that's trying to get something from yeah. you at the same time. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's I... I know that I talk a lot about cold DMs and obviously I'm not a fan of them. Uh, I've made some great relationships with people who have reached out to me that are good people. They do good work and we've had long relationships. So your spidey senses get developed the longer you've been at it and you get people invading your inbox and you can sort of feel now I can, I know right away when it's leading up into a pitch, even when the person doesn't start with a pitch, you know, a guy reached out to me the other day, the, now the thing is, I'll tell a joke. It's like a stand-up routine instead of a pitch or whatever. He said, "How can you tell a vampire has COVID or whatever?" I said, "Oh, geez." I said, "Okay, I'll bite." Pun intended. And he said, "A heavy coffin." So I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know, as a lover yeah. of puns and dad jokes and stuff, I'm going to put that one in my back pocket. Uh, but then he told another joke, and I'm, I felt like I'm at the comedy club here, and I'm too busy for this stuff. So I let the conversation go. Uh, but you get ones like that 
you've got the indirect ones who will start with, uh, hey, Michael, how's the weather? Or what do you do, even though it's all over your bio, your banner, everything else. Uh, but but uh, you get them with uh, something that's that's not business related, then they work their way up to it, which I can, my spotty senses get tingling usually with that. You get the copied and pasted direct ones, you know, you connect and then 1.3 seconds later, you get this big pitch like, hey, check out my Facebook group here, do this, 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 which I almost appreciate those ones better because they get right to the point instead of the ones that go, they want a chatty Cathy conversation all day long. Um, the other ones who you ignore, you just don't answer. And then every day or two, you get it three or four question marks, you know, or is, is my internet working? Like, did you get this? Hello? It's like, yeah, I did. I'm not obligated to answer you um, with it. So that's just me blowing off steam about cold DMs, but there is a, a right way that you can do it. it. But it takes a special skill that most people online don't have. They just like, oh, okay, I'll copy and paste it. And I'll send out 200 messages a day. And that's an awful way to build a business. Uh, the way that I build my business, I put my effort into my content creation, my message, getting it out in front of the right people and then warm audiences, warm leads reach out to me. So they're already almost pre-sold with it. I would much rather do it that way than chasing someone down, hounding them, annoying them, twisting their arm until they finally say yes and pay me. That's what I like about when you said that you help grow businesses and coaching businesses, but without advertising, it's almost like this chase for scale is what causes people to make these decisions that they're trying to grow so big so quickly that it forces them to make decisions and do things that they wouldn't do if they weren't chasing the scale to begin with. Yeah, it's almost like, I don't know if the movie was big over in your neck of the woods, The Cable Guy, Jim Carrey, back in the 90s. Did you see yeah. that one? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, so anyone who's seen it, you know, I don't want to be like The Cable Guy, you know. Um, he left, uh, Matthew Broderick gets home, you know, Matthew Broderick's character, and there's 20-some voicemails on the answering machine, because it's the 1990s, you know, and, uh, hey, Stephen, you know, just thought I'd give you a call, give me a shout back, and then, hey, Stephen, uh, you around, and another one hello and it's just really weird um i saw a person giving quote advice pretty bad advice the other day in a post they said when it comes to direct messages that you keep going until the person either buys from you or they block you which is oh god awful and that explains why the online space and the coaching world has a bad reputation in a lot of circles because of that kind of advice it's a very weird industry the way things are being taught and the way things are being educated to mm. people but it doesn't really translate does it because someone's trying to teach people how to grow a business through relationship building and as you said all they're doing is just copy and pasting messages 24 7 and hope they get five people respond a day but they've sent five thousand of these generic yeah. messages is there a right way of doing it? Is there a right way of building relationships? I mean, reciprocity is a big thing. So instead of reaching out to a complete stranger or someone you don't know really well and asking something right away, that's pretty rude. It's probably not going to work. Uh, look and say, okay, how can I help uh, Michael, for example, if I didn't know you and I reached out to you and instead just say, hey, can I be on your show? You know, let me on your show or whatever. Or, hey, I just released this new program. Do you mind posting about it to your friends list? You're thinking, why is a stranger asking me this? If I said instead, uh, hey, Michael, uh, love what you're doing with your show. By the way, I'm not sure if you've been going out on other shows, but I was just on a couple podcasts that I think you'd be a great guest for. You know, I'd be happy to make the introduction to those hosts. If you'd like on there, just let me know and I'll do that. And you'd say, yeah, that'd be great, Mark. Perfect. So then I take less than two minutes to connect you with those few hosts, get you on the show. You're thinking, wow, gee, this Mark, I didn't even, he didn't ask me for anything. He's just gotten beyond these shows to get my name and message out there. So then all of a sudden your mind is saying, okay, how can I pay him back? Right. There's reciprocity uh, with it. Now it's not every time that when I do that for someone, I'm not doing it looking to get something back from it, but it also, often comes back to me many times over, you know, cause people remember that act of generosity it's like benjamin franklin uh when he was a young politician i don't know if you've heard this story before but he had this fellow legislature legislator who hated him or was making really difficult on him and benjamin franklin just could not get this guy to like him uh, but he knew that he had quite a library book collection and there was a certain rare book and benjamin franklin asked if he could borrow that book 
And the guy said, yeah, sure, you can do it. Benjamin Franklin brought it back a couple days later. I don't think he even read it, <laughs> but he brought it back, you know, repaying the favor, bringing it back in the same condition, you know, and, and uh, saying how much he really appreciated it and everything like that. that. That got his foot in the door with this fellow politician that warmed him up and they ended up becoming friends. And he was a very important ally with his political career with it. So by doing that one little thing, Benjamin Franklin got further along than he would have any other way with the guy. I've actually interviewed one Benjamin of the co-authors. Wow. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to listen to that one. That would be amazing. It really would. I got some mm. questions for him, that's for sure. I interviewed one of the co-authors of The Go-Giver. I don't know if you've, if you've read the book. And one of the things that I think we need to start the conversation of, at least, is receiving doesn't have to be in the same way as the giving. So the, 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 way, the way I kind of describe it is, let's say you uh, try to give something to somebody else, where you, you go about mm. this, this whole giving relationship, and then something next month comes along out of the blue that you hadn't thought about, you hadn't really set that in motion, but it found its way to you anyway. That's how I tend to see it, rather than I'm giving to you, I expect you to give back to me in, in the same way or in equal amounts and all of that kind of thing. It made me think that it's not a transactional thing, that if you go about it, you will get yours eventually. And I think the technical term is karma, isn't it? Where eventually mm. it will come round to you and it will benefit you in some way. Is that something that you can speak to when it comes to marketing or growing a business or building relationships with people? Yeah, I mean, I uh, on the go-giver topic, I had Bob Berg, he was one of an early guests on my show, and he said something that stuck with me for years. I should get it tattooed on my body, but he said, money is an echo of value uh, during that interview. So money is an echo of value. If you're um, not putting enough value out into the world, then it's going to be reflected in your bank account or in your wallet. Uh, so I, I always thought that was neat and just throw that in there uh, regarding karma. It all comes down to patience, you know, and uh, we aren't terribly patient nowadays, full disclosure. I'm not always the most patient guy, uh, but I find a lot of the people who gravitate into the coaching world, they want to do something and they want to see the results right away. You know, so they'll do three Facebook lives, didn't get any clients. Well, this is stupid. Now I'm going to go off to clubhouse. So I'm going to try clubhouse for a while. And I'm going to try something else and then something else. Uh, anything that I do, my podcast or if, uh, the emails, daily emails, anything, I just focus on putting out the best possible product that will help people put the quality in there. And then I trust that it's going to come back to me eventually with it. Now, it might not be right away. You know, it could be 30 days down the road, could be a year down the road, could be more, but it will come back. And that's what's happened. A lot of the clients I work with, my partners that I JV with and so on. I may not have known them when they first reach out to me and I'll ask them like, Hey, how did you come across my name or where did we get connected? They're like, Oh, I've been on your email list for the last three years, you know, or I've been listening to your show, but I've never heard of them. They've never um, commented on any social media stuff that I do or whatever, but they're still seeing that stuff and it's helping them. So there's a good example of karma versus a bad one where you screw someone over and then it comes back to bite you in the behind. But uh, yeah, it all comes down to patience, you know, just, not expecting immediate results you know you hope for quick results but don't get yourself worked up if they don't come right away you're planting a seed you're watering it you're waiting for it to grow and you're being patient what sort of things can you share that can help people with the patience thing it feels like it's like delayed gratification and that sounds great but then how do you handle the like brain demons that are trying to convince mm. you to do something that you wouldn't do if you were being patient how do you help people with that well i think it's really hard to be patient in your business if you're not patient in your personal life and like i mentioned i've been working on it that's one of the things here in the last year i've been working on my patience uh, so for example i'd be horrible when i'm trying to pull out onto a street and there's a lot of traffic. And I say it's taking forever. It's, it takes two minutes to get out in the street. I'm in Atlanta, Canada. I'm not in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. So we're not used to a lot of traffic. Uh, but 
I would get worked up and I'd be huffing and puffing. And, you know, my fiance is like, Oh, it's okay. You know, like not a big deal. Uh, now what I do to practice patience is I view that as an opportunity to build my patience and I actually breathe. And I wait, you know, I'm usually listening to good podcasts or audio books or something there. So I'm looking at it like, Hey, here's an opportunity to hear a few more minutes of good stuff before I can get out into traffic. Uh, so there's an example of your everyday life where you can take little things like that instead of getting worked up about it, getting fidgety, getting angry. You can say, no, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to build that trait. And in this case, patience, and then it'll carry over into your business as well. Now, I'm not patient for certain things. Uh, you were here right on time. I was, you know, I think a minute early or so, because when it comes to calls and things, I have no patience for people who are late for business calls or podcast interviews. So I used to have a uh, 45 minute rule where I would wait, I would keep the Zoom or Skype window open while I was working away and other stuff, just in case it came by, maybe it got tied up. It's gone down every year and now it's a five minute wait time. Cause I get it, sometimes people can't find the link or something like that. Um, I will wait the five minutes and then I'm gone. And if they message, you know, after 10 minutes, 15 minutes, uh, I'm like, sorry, I was there, I waited, you didn't show up. Uh, with it. So, so patience is good 99% of the time. But when it comes to that example, I wouldn't recommend being patient for waiting for calls because time is money, you know, and if someone's not early, if they're late, if uh, don't, don't let them push your day back just because they're not uh, coordinated. They don't know how to work their calendar. They're just running around like chickens with their heads cut off. That reminds me of, I think it's Evan Almighty, the film where Morgan Freeman's he, he plays God in the film, and um, it's a weird conversation that he has with somebody where he goes, if you pray for patience, would he just give you patience, or would he create scenarios mm. that mean you get the chance to be patient, the opportunity to be patient? If you want a better family relationship, mm. whether it's with your wife or spouse, would he just give you a better relationship or does he give you the opportunity to have that opportunity whether it's a stressful situation it gives you the opportunity to sit back and go what's the best course of action here that that's something that stuck with me a little bit because in the moment it's not so great you've got to go through that uncomfortable feeling mm get the other side to see it as an opportunity for myself mark that's the like the repetition that's me going okay my reaction is not as good as my what's this an opportunity to do what's this giving me the chance to actually get the repetition of being patient or happy or at peace and all those things that's really stuck with me as well and i think that having that opportunity can be negative in the outset can't it you know you get dozens of messages when you mentioned that someone's dming you to promote their product i had that recently and yeah. my reaction is why on earth would you send me that i don't know who you are never met before i don't even know how to pronounce your name half the time but i sit there when i go okay this is an opportunity for me to be firm with my boundaries explain the situation to them you know communication is a very powerful thing when they're trying to get something from you that's the opportunity if they hadn't sent that message i would not have had the chance to be patient or grounded or whatever it is yeah. it's almost like without the hardship we don't have the opportunity to be that version of ourselves do we no and you can actually flip those type of situations around to make money and it's not going to happen every time but for example someone reaches out to you with a really tacky copied and pasted pitch and you're someone who teaches something different like i do uh, you can message them back like uh, hey look it looks like you need some help with your approach here uh, with it and here's what i do to help people check it out um, well here's another example of flipping things around which happened probably about a month ago for me maybe six weeks uh, someone reached out to me and he was one of these indirect guys that's talked about the weather and inane qu questions and stuff like that 
So anyways, finally flushed it out of him that he has a platform that helps coaches and basically he wants to talk to me about it. Um, instead of just ignoring him, uh, which I was tempted, you know, when those things first pop up, I have a joint venture program where I will JV with people. They pay a flat fee and then I promote the heck out of it for seven days. Usually there's a three-day package. So I said to him uh, when he mentioned about his platform that's best things to slice bread and all this other stuff, I said, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, it, well, if you'd like to expose it to over 100,000 coaches in my, that are following me, here's a link to show how we could partner up on it. Now, I never heard back from him. So it saved me maybe an hour or two of chatter <laughs> back and forth. But also it was a way to flip it around. Once I tried to sell him on it, he just moved on because he knew that he wasn't going to be able to crack this nut. And oh, no, that's too hard. And uh, he didn't want to pay me for whatever. But I would encourage people to look and see, okay, is there a way that I could flip it around? And it's not going to happen all the time. Um, but another example with it where I have sold joint venture packages, I'm getting pitched all the time for people who want to come on my podcast. I'm sure you're getting those too. Michael, booking agencies have just exploded the last few years and I'm getting, you know, 10 messages a day from people trying to get the clients or get themselves on my show. Uh, I'm booked up really tight on my show, but I do guarantee a spot for my joint venture partners. So I have a message that I'll send back to them. Hey, thanks for reaching out. However, my show is booked solid. Uh, by the way, I offer guaranteed spots to my joint venture partners. You can get the details here. And I know of one really good JV partner that I got two years ago that came from that way. His team reached out to me. We didn't have openings except for JV partners. They were happy with it. They paid. We had a great JV and bang, win-win. So find out if there's a way that you can flip it around to benefit you. I did exactly the same thing with the pictures that I get is if I can help them, whether it's paid or free, I always try to edge it towards something that I have that can help them out. If it's a pitch that's too wishy-washy mm. or a bit too abrasive, let's say, or just not that great. I've got friends that do selling similar to yourself and I can recommend yeah. that they check those out. If it's something they want me to promote myself, they could potentially sponsor the podcast. So I think sometimes, I'm not sure if you've done this yourself, if you get enough pitches, you come up with something for the the pitches that you get. Is that something that you do yeah. as well? Well, yeah, like with mostly the joint venture part of it. I, I also use my reply to pitches to grow my Facebook group because before I mentioned, oh, by the way, there's a, a way to get guaranteed spot on my podcast and I give the link for the JV page. I say uh, a little plug for the Coaching Jungle Facebook group. You know, I, my show's booked up solid. However, there's a ton of podcast hosts in my Facebook group. There's over 22,000 members. Uh, feel free to go in there and see if you can find shows to go on. Just keep your requests off the main wall and in the appropriate theme day in there because I don't want them coming and start spamming the wall. So I will often see them request to join my Facebook group that day because I've gave, given them the information in the email. So I'm growing my group that way as well. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is you're not obligated to answer anyone. That's a great thing with growing your own business. Uh, one of the things that bugged me, I spent 10 years in real estate and a number of those years I was working for a brokerage. Um, so I had managers and stuff like that, that I was accountable to before I opened up my own thing. But when I was working under the umbrella of other companies, one of the things that drove me nuts is uh, <laughs> someone could be rude to you, could just be a total idiot you couldn't like hang up on them or say piss off. Right. <laughs> so I had one day where it wasn't even my client it was another agent's client called me and just started ripping into me because long story short, they didn't, I had a new listing sold on day one and she called up and said, Oh, uh, my agent said that you said the house is sold. I said, yeah, it's sold right away. She said, well, I saw you had an open house there on the weekend. So I know it didn't sell or whatever. Well, I wasn't at that open house. Uh, unless I have a clone, I do have a twin brother, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't at that house doing an open house. Uh, so she, she was totally wrong. Like she, and so I explained to her, I said, no, you must be mistaken. Maybe there was another listing on the street, but I was not at that house. It sold literally right away. And she starts screaming at me. And you know what? I thought, I don't have to take this. I just hung up on her. And five minutes later, I get a call from my manager. 
And he says, ah, hey, buddy, how's it going? That's how he talked, you know, real smooth guy. And he said, I heard what happened. I just had a call. He said, you can't be hanging up on people. And I tried to explain to him. I said, look, uh, you don't know the situation, but I'm not going to sit there and let someone, a complete stranger, curse me out for why well, I didn't even do anything wrong with it. Yeah, I'll hang up on her 100 times out of 100, you know, with it. But it did bug me with real estate where people could crap on you and you just had to take it. Now with coaching, if somebody really pisses me off, and I don't know um, if this is edited or bleeped out or whatever, but if I if I want to say fuck off and, you know, or whatever, I can, you know, because they could complain to my boss, it's me. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, with it. And that's what I always like about coaching and running your own business. It's like uh, Billions, the show Bobby Axelrod in Billions always talks about getting fuck you money. You know, what's the sense of having fuck you money if you can't say fuck you? I try not to be rude. I try to treat people the way that I would want to be treated, but I also don't take crap off people. There is definitely a limit where you do your best and then if they keep pushing you and keep pushing you at the end of the day mark it is your business it is my business it is everyone else's business is listening to this conversation now mm. if we have our buttons pressed or we hit our limits we can't really be fired from our own business unless it's a bigger company with directors and all that kind of thing if it's your own company um yeah you kind of guaranteed the the job right <laughs> yeah i mean there's a whole cancel culture thing which is another topic there i'm not a fan of cancel culture i think the people who practice it are crazy and they usually end up getting bit because those who push for cancellation for someone it ends up coming around and they get canceled <laughs> so uh, will wheaton who played wesley crusher in star trek the next generation used to be the biggest social justice warrior trying to cancel people just being a real idiot on Twitter and stuff like that. He ended up getting canceled because <laughs> it's a, it's a fight for they're trying to get up that totem pole, you know, who can be the most, uh, the savior of the vic uh, victims and save society. And that's a whole social justice thing. So we do have to think about cancel culture, but that's why I like having a couple different baskets and not putting all my eggs in one basket. So I'm a really big fan of coaches or any online entrepreneur having an email list that can't be taken away from you. You know, social media, who knows, you could get booted off any platform. If uh, Donald Trump could get booted off Twitter when he was president of the United States, you and I aren't safe, you know, with it. Yeah, but if you exactly. have certain baskets in there that if one gets taken away, you're still fine because you get some other options, then you're not going to be caught flat footed. I'd be really curious to hear how often the, you know, when you get pitches and you try to flip it on its head a little bit with something that you have, what's the success rate with something like that? Well, I would say it's a hundred percent success rate, not in terms of me being paid physically all the time, but it's always, when I say a hundred percent, it's because one of a couple things happen. First off, it could turn into a client or to a partner, which is great. Uh, but Often they don't answer me because I'm too difficult versus a newbie person that they think they could sell. So they're just not going to spend the time. Uh, or they could answer with being a little bit uh, put off with it and try to get back into them selling me. But I've already answered them. I just drop it there. So I win every time because I don't waste my time with these silly conversations or hopping on a call like a Zoom call for an hour to get pitched. Someone trying to sell me. So I save with that JV offer that I have, the, it's jvwithmark.com if someone wants to see how I have it set up to push people away. Part of the reason that I structured my joint ventures that way is I was getting pitched constantly from people seeing that I had, you know, the podcast, I had a good following on social and all that. Tons of messages from people like, hey, Mark, I got brand new ABC program. It's 1997. How about you promote it and I'll pay you 50% of everyone who buys it or whatever. Uh, but they'd want to hop on Zoom calls or they wouldn't say they have something that they want me to partner with them on. They would say, hey, how about let's do a virtual coffee uh, with it and get to know each other. I'd love to hear more about your business. And now we're here, now we're there. You could waste 300 hours a year, no problem. So now I'm able to say, hey, I do my joint ventures differently than most here's the link to check it out and if you want to talk further there's an option there to book a call with me but they already know they're oh, okay this is how he does his joint ventures he charges a flat fee 
and often they don't want to pay it and they move on and that's fine. It's just saved me an hour with it. So that's what I think is really important. That's what a lot of coaches struggle with having things like that set up. So they don't want to come across as rude. They don't know how to deflect someone without looking like they're a real idiot. And uh, that's where they struggle. So you need to have healthy boundaries, but having things like these templates and things I'm telling you guys about, that definitely helps. Has anyone slipped through the net as in maybe they've used some of your techniques on you or someone stands out as someone that has managed to lock you into this conversation where you've actually not caved as such, but you've actually gone ahead with what the conversation led to? Has anyone ever done that recently? Uh, Well, I'm always tightening up my processes. So one thing that I struggled with in the past was brain pickers. So this wasn't people trying to sell me, but they were still going to hurt me because they're trying to get me for an hour to plug me with a bunch of questions and stuff like that that I should be charging for. Uh, So just a few months ago, I set up, uh, there's a joint venture partner of mine who has a service that uh, people could book calls with you, but they're going to have to pay. You know, I have it set up that they pay 250 for 30 minutes, 500 for an hour or $1,000 for a two-hour deep dive. So anyone who's reached out to me since said, hey, Mark, I was just wondering if I could ask you a question. You know, I listen to your show or whatever. Great. I'd love to chat with you. Here's how I book my calls. And then I give them that link with it. And again, I win either way. Either they pay and then we do the call. I do my best and help them out. Or they don't book the call. And that's fine because I've just saved the time. Uh, One little trick I'll share to, to help with brain pickers which I did before I had that link set up is if they had a specific question about something, I would say, Hey, there's a great book about this subject. Why don't you buy it? Reach out to me next week and let me know what your biggest takeaways were from the book. And often they wouldn't, well, wouldn't buy the book, wouldn't reach out to me because they didn't read the book and they just were too lazy to do anything. Uh, But then if somebody actually did all that stuff, read a 300 page book and you know took notes and everything else they show up on a call you can tell they're pretty serious if they're willing to do that so there you win as well there's a couple ways around it uh, when it comes to brain pickers i get the impression that relationship building is part of the the way of growing a business or a coaching business without forking out thousands every single month on advertising and promotions and influencer marketing and all of the multitude of things that people seem to latch on to as a way of growing their business is that right is that sort of thing that that you tend to guide people towards or is there something else that maybe we're missing well someone just hearing me for the first time probably thinks gee sounds like a real dink you know because he doesn't want to talk to anyone (laughs) which isn't the case you know i've built up a lot of great relationships uh podcasting you know this michael from doing your show i think that's one of the best ways to build relationships so when i started my show i thought this is great because i'm meeting interesting people Uh, building those connections I'm learning and it's almost like you're uh, getting it all for free you know from it because you're inviting them onto your podcast so there's a tip if somebody's struggling to connect with people you have a show there's a much better chance that you're going to get to know them better if they go on the show than you chat after the recording or whatever with it so yeah relationships are huge I mean you can't build something big just by yourself trying to be a lone wolf like you need to connect with people and you need to have those relationships all i'm saying is that uh, you have to be careful not to get swamped by the needs and the goals of others that are trying to leech off of you in that process Uh, so there's a couple really good books i like around the subject Uh, well dan kennedy has great stuff around time management uh, talks about time energy vampires and all these other things Uh, Thick Face, Black Heart, that's a great book because it's a very realistic view of human relationships. Uh, Any of Robert Greene's stuff talks about power. You know, I think that's great for knowing how to deal with people. These books come across as Machiavellian, but they're actually very valuable. I would rather read a book like that than a rah-rah, you know, manifestation, you know, uh, guide or something like that, where you sit in your lazy boy and shoot out positive vibrations and you'll get everything that you want <laughs> uh, with it. So I prefer those type of books because they help you deal with people and you have to be able to deal with people if you want to be successful. I completely agree with that. And one of the things that I felt when I read The Four Laws of Power is I almost had to 
calm myself down halfway through because my brain went straight to like manipulation mm -hmm. coercion and all of the slightly more negative things that my brain went to while i was reading the book because obviously the the examples are like attila the horn and hitler yeah. and some <laughs> of the most powerful people in the world at the time, how they think, how they communicate. And my brain thought, do I want to be like those people? I'm not so sure if I should model this book as much as it's coming across as. Yeah, but um, like Robert Greene and others talk about is uh, no person is totally good, right? Even the ones that put out the appearance that they're good are often the worst people. Uh, so if you look at the Me Too thing that blew up in what, 2018? Uh, all these Hollywood celebrities, these male feminists were virtue signaling, you know, with Me Too and Time's Up and everything else and how great they were and how they're in women's corner and stuff. Some of them came out as the biggest perverts and abusers out there. Like you look at Harvey Weinstein, you know, and stuff like that uh, with it. So the same thing goes for the coaching world. You know, there's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing that are out there marketing like oh put your wallets away you know i don't care about money I, they sound like mother Teresa. you know they want to change the world and stuff like that and they could care less about the green stuff they don't care about money i shock people because i often in my content interview stuff like that i'm very open that i love money <laughs> i'm a proud capitalist i love what money can give me it's cool to have a roof over my head a vehicle be able to travel all that other stuff and i've had people say oh my gosh mark you can't admit that you know or whatever i'm like well why can't you admit that you're not your you should want to make a profit and you should want to make money but in the coaching world that's frowned upon often and so in uh, 2015 i did a summit where i hosted it was called the uh, command higher coaching fees summit you would swear that i was a cross between hitler and you know attila the hun because i had some coaches like um, it's the coaching isn't about money and oh my god i can't believe you're doing this and somehow it's tacky to talk about money and those are the Mother Teresa coaches. I say they think unless you're coaching barefoot in some village somewhere far away and doing it for free, that you're somehow evil, you know, with it. And it's just very frustrating. So that's why I don't like about the coaching world. I think we should be able to admit that we're capitalists, we're entrepreneurs, we're here to make a profit, and we should be proud to say that. It's interesting when the people that tend to scream the whole should be doing it for free and all of those things they're happily sitting on their salary from their their job or their company that's paying them to do their job it's like well you're benefiting from the mentality of the person above you like the owner or owners hmm. of the company that they work for taking a salary from it's like, okay it's very hard to have those opinions when you're sitting safely with the, the byproduct of capitalism almost. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I've talked about the movie The Founder before. Have you seen that one about Ray Kroc, McDonald's? Uh, yeah. Michael Keaton knocked it out of the park. It was a great movie. So I've talked about it. I've talked about different entrepreneurship lessons and stuff like that. Um, I've got these, um, some people who follow me, usually socialist types, uh, who, oh my God, Ray Kroc was evil and he screwed over the McDonald brothers or whatever. Like, well, he gave them a check for what was a million bucks back, you know, many, many decades ago. It's worth way more now. They weren't doing much with it. You know, they just want to have their little place in uh, California and be able to sit in the porch and watch the restaurant. Ray Kroc's the one that actually took it and built it into what it is today. Uh, now, is he perfect? No, obviously he wasn't perfect. And I'm sure that he uh, definitely had to uh, do some things that aren't always on the up and up to get there. But look at how many jobs McDonald's has created, how many millionaires it's created and so on that the McDonald brothers would not have done, you know, if they'd done it. But without fail, when I talk about Ray Kroc in my stuff for the movie, The Founder, I do get people uh, coming right out and talk about evil capitalists and stuff. And they're usually on their iPhones, right? They're thousand dollar iPhones and they get their $10 Starbucks and stuff while they're complaining about capitalism. They don't get how silly that is. They're just, you know, uh, get their uh, tax the rich or eat the rich shirts and uh, go Bernie Sanders. <laughs> we we often have this conversation with some of my friends outside of the online space around if everything was ethical or moral how much would the iphone 
cost. So we talk about, oh, it's built by, like, Five you know, bucks. kids, <laughs> slaves, and all of that kind of thing. It's like, okay, well, if a company has to run on 10xing everyone's wages so that no one's slave labor, everyone's ethical, everyone's moral, mm. everything's doing what it is, could you afford to add, like, two or three zeros onto the cost of your iPhone so then every everyone further downstream was perfectly happy and content and had perfect work-life balance while able to build these phones? It would lead to a very difficult way of living where your phone could cost more than your house because there's so many things that happen to make the iPhone possible. Yeah, exactly. And um, if the iPhone wasn't worth that, you know, because it values what we're willing to pay for it, uh, people sleep with their phones, you know, they they can't go to the bathroom for two minutes without their phone. If they ever leave their phone at home or lose it, they're having a panic attack. And Steve Jobs and Apple done a great job with the product. People are waiting in line for a day before the opening of something like they're just, it's almost like a cult. Uh, but if it was a crappy product that kept falling apart, take, for example, Blackberries. Before iPhones were a thing, I used a lot of Blackberries um, being in real estate and stuff. You had to use a friggin' track ball, you know, in your, your thumb. You had to take the ball out and clean it off every so often. You had keys falling off. And it was awful, right? And that's why probably why they're, I say they're out of business. I think Rim's still doing some stuff, but their phones are gone. Blackberry, because they just didn't have a very good product, you know, and Apple does a very good job with their iPhone, with their tablets and everything like that. So they should be rewarded for it. You know, anyone who says that, oh, okay, well, no, it's, uh, you know, Apple's awful, child labor, all that other stuff. Well, other companies have opportunities to go into that market. If they're overpriced and they can do a better job, they'll be able to eat into, eat into that Apple, so to speak, uh, with it. But they can't because Apple's done a very good job with it. It's been a very fascinating conversation, Mark. I, I always enjoy our, our chats. And those that are listening, I'll put links to the previous interviews as well so you could check out some of the other topics that myself and Mark have dove into. Very, very fascinating. I always love chatting to you, mate. It's been, it's been a long time coming. Every time it feels like we've got so much extra to talk about because we don't have these all that often but time uh, flies yeah for sure so uh, no thanks for having me back on michael thanks for all you do and i uh, hope you guys got something from it yeah for sure if those that are listening want to check you out figure out the uh the emails that you mentioned it's the is it the secret coaches well i have a hard copy newsletter called secret coach club that goes out every month physical uh, but they could go to naturalborncoaches.com that's where you can get on my email list check out the podcast and so on uh, the facebook groups coachingjungle.com and secretcoachclub.com is the print newsletter thank you so much for being a guest on the show for those that are listening make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any of our future episodes leave a review wherever you are listening into your podcast and feel free to share the show tell others spread the word and i look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode thanks so much for being a guest on the show and i look forward to uh, keeping in touch thank you if you want to join a community of like-minded people that are on the journey for health, wealth and happiness, then my fulfillment community, my inner circle, is for you. You get continuous support from myself and also the opportunity to be supported, helped, guided and collaborate with the other members as well and also you get the chance to ask my podcast guests questions plenty of people in there already so if you click the link in the description for the episode you get access to a two-month free trial and you're under no obligation to continue and you can cancel whenever you want hopefully i'll see you there and i look forward to helping you on your journey